Tonight, we are putting the women and children to bed and going out looking for the first episode of our Hops and Sports Ball Flop Series. Captain Cash, it's second and two on our 24. What defensive set might we call? Juicy IPA, Imperial Stout, Pilsner? Uh, Thunderous Wizard? Eagle Superhero, unless the setback shifts into the eye. Good. What's your assignment? Hit the tight end so hard his girlfriend dies. Excellent. Hops and box office flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Welcome and thank you for joining us on the 124th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops presented by Wobam Entertainment. We are the Google Nets premier podcast dedicated to bad movies and good beers. For tonight's pod, we have our very 90s football movie to kick off our Hops and Sports Ball Flop series. This episode, we're talking about the charmingly cliche, The Program. Full disclosure, not only am I recording this pod in my childhood bedroom, but this movie was released the fall of my freshman year of high school, and it heavily influenced my high school football experience. Almost certainly in a negative way, I would think. Yeah, probably. I mean, not at the time I enjoyed it, but I have a very fond place in my heart for this movie, and I'm feeling very nostalgic talking about it when I'm sitting in my bedroom at home. And uh, you know what? Let's talk Honestly, about your I, feelings. How, yeah. How does that make you feel? You know, I, I have a lot of feelings, but... You know, the movie is kind of cheesy and it sort of doesn't hold up that well, but I still found at least the locker room stuff and some of the football stuff to be you know, decently entertaining. You can find me discussing innovative doping techniques on the ESU message boards and Twitter at Chumpzilla8. T-dubs, where can the listener find your hot takes on nondescript Midwestern college football teams and overly melodramatic 90s movies? When I'm not writhing around in pain after having my leg snapped by a guy I was just trash talking, you can find me at WriterTLK on Twitter. And last but not least, Captain Cash, where can the listener find your opinions on proper catheter techniques? Now listen, when I'm cathing, I like to use... Wait, am, am I doing the cowboy catheter bit? <laughs> I think that was your Wilford Brimley you know, coming yeah, out there. The diabetes. Uh, li listen, you can find me at CAPT. C-A-S-H on most of your social media for any catheter-related needs. Wilford Brimley, these are my dick-draining supplies. <laughs> I, listen, well, it's, when you, it's a when you do Wilford thing. Brimley, you kind of have to like put a finger up to your mouth to kind of just do, constrain do the upper lip a bit. You do, know? do you? I don't oh, think God. I have to. I mean, Chuck Zilla's mustache is truly, truly unruly and gross to look at. When, when Wilford Brimley was using his uh, machine to not get caught doping, do you think the batteries were not included? Movie pun. Ooh. Yeah, I mean. Let's go. Listen. <laughs> something that, something cocoon? Yeah. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Sorry. Listen, that's the thing. You just steal all my jokes every time. That's it. <laughs> just, we're just on the same wavelength. That's all. But anyway. Hold on, hold uh, on your pants, Wilford. Let me see that thing. That thing. The, the thing. The, the thing you do? Yeah. Oh, oh, yes. Yes. Mustacheless Wilford Brimley. That was stealth Brimley. 
you know, they, they always tried to bust Wilford in college when he was doping, but some would say he's a hard target. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> wow. 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 That's wow. A, I'm, not, wow. I'm not even trying after that. Okay. Uh, for tonight's pod, I went with a uh, not necessarily related beer, but something I had before, but couldn't remember if I liked it or not. So I tried it again. Uh, it is Sierra Nevada's Dankful IPA. Um, and it is just pretty much, in my opinion, your standard, relatively hoppy West Coast style IPA. I have had Danker things in my day. Um, I'm pretty sure Sweetwater has a 420 Dank IPA that definitely has more of that skunky taste to it. Um, yeah, this is just, to me, this just tastes like a hoppy IPA. It's got your standard golden color with a decent amount of head, and it's got some you know, citrus pine and a little bit of caramel notes. So it's a little earthier, maybe it's not quite as bitter as other, you know, hoppy West coast IPAs, but whatever, it's decent. It's got a 7.4 ABV. Um, I'll give it two bad movies. This one is uh, too hoppy for me. Uh, So I'd give it like a movie and a half tops. It is quite danky. The danky dank. Yeah. I mean, I've had danker, but you do have a sensitive tum-tum, Thunderous Wizard, so I understand. Yeah. No, it was, uh, yeah. If I had too many of these, oh, oh boy. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. No. Um, I can attest that it does have an impact on your GI tract. So all that uh, catheter talk made me think of that. You, you, you will smell this coming out on the other end if you have one too many or two or three too many. Anyway, moving on. The tail of the tape here, we're talking about the program. And this was released the same year as Rudy. And it was effectively designed to be the diametric opposite of that kind of inspirational, family-friendly sports movie. The program was an R-rated college football movie focused on the human shrapnel created by the modern major conference college football machine. And boy, did it ever deliver. Here's my question, though. They were released on the same year. So this feels very much like a... Dante's Peak, Volcano, Armageddon, Deep Impact kind of situation where the zeitgeist was just like, hey, college football movie. And somebody went, yeah, uplifting college football movie. And somebody went, dark as fuck college football movie. This was the sports movie like era, like where they were making lots and lots of sports movies. Angels in the Outfield, Air Bud. Uh, Necessary Roughness came out during this yeah. time. Like Major League was 89. Mm. Uh, they Which were is written, a, directed by the same guy yeah. that did the program. So it was like right in that sort of storm of like pseudo. I mean, this is not an inspirational sports movie. Generally, they were at least like sort of inspirational. But uh, this is uh, not particularly that. But hey, Rudy Ruger's a huge dick from what I hear. So Rudy Ruger might be a dick, but on record. Samwise Gamgee, the actor, uh, Sean Astin. Great dude. Really nice. Real real glad about him. I, I'm telling you this. If you got bit by a giant spider uh, in a weird cave, Rudy Rudiger's leaving you there to be eaten alive. Samwise Gamgee, no way. Coming back every time. Yep. Sean Coming Astin, back every real. time. Yep. And beat yep. the spider. Uh-huh. Goonies never dude. say die. Nope. He, they don't. Sean Astin, great dude. Anyway. Yeah, so I will disagree with your point, though, about comparing this to like Dante's Peak or Volcano or, or Deep Impact in Armageddon. No, mm-hmm. it was more like, you know, the Rudy thing was a known quantity based on a true story, even though it's 
anyway, the Rudy principle is not as inspirational as you think it is. It's actually a huge waste of time. You probably could have bettered his life if you focused on something you could actually be more successful at because he spent all that time in his life just to get one play. Not really a good return on his efforts, but it's a feel good story. That's not the point here. This was more like a guy who had just done uh, a baseball movie and a sequel that had a more edgy tone. This is more of just like, hey, let's make a 90s college football movie. It wasn't so much to be a call and response to Rudy or anything like that. It was just like, hey, singular goal. Let's make a very 90s college football movie with all those fantastic 90s sensibilities that age so well. And, and that's why, in my opinion, this is more like kind of the RoboCop of football movies. It's almost Verhoeven-esque in its dark social commentary that borders on satire or is satire, effectively. Um, it's definitely not as smart as RoboCop, but I think it's that's the kind of tone they were going for with this movie. I can see that. Um, it's definitely yeah. like, hey, current society, not that great. Not that great. Yeah, because, you know, we'll get to it later, but this definitely mirrors a lot of, like, contemporary or well-known college scandals or like dirty little secrets. It's kind of like, Hey, they're saying the quiet part out loud. And it's Which, I mean, in 91 was a big deal, right? Kind of. And I think that's what probably heard it commercially. Um, but it's one of those movies that I'm not surprised to see that it's got higher user scores than the critic scores. Uh, Rotten Tomato has it at 43%. Uh, and it's user scores almost double at 80%. And I'll just say it. That's legit. This movie fucks. It might do so with a catheter in, but sure. I mean, anyway, mm. uh, the Metacritic score is 51%, so a bit higher there. And it has a user score of zero, but asterisk, that's because it hasn't been rated yet. I tried to give it an eight, but I don't have the Facebook. This is a travesty. This movie deserves a solid user score. First so, of all, listeners, help us of, out. First rule of user scoring. Uh, especially when it's something so absurd like the program that we all love, give it a 10. Just go 10. You know, if it's just going to be one review, I was going to give it an yeah, eight just to no. be legit. But, you know, no. yeah, come on. Let's, let's, let's review, pump this thing up with 10s, guys. Come on. All you Facebook users. So basically our moms, mom, please, please give the program a I 10. Can, yeah, I can tell you the predominant demographic that is now using Facebook heavily, probably not into doing user scores on Metacritic. <laughs> especially not for the program, yeah. but I'm pretty sure I drove past them today around the traffic circle, of my hometown protesting against masks. But anyway, moving on. Assholes. You mean assholes? Yes. Lots of them. Um, the biggest drama this movie <laughs> big, faced. Big time colleges would never exploit athletes. What are they complaining about? <laughs> that, that's the group. <laughs> yeah. This movie's yeah. not real at all. This is, this is stupid. It never happened. Those guys are lucky to get an education. Um, the biggest drama the film faced was related to a post-release deleted scene that will be the subject of a trivia question tonight. So I'm going to hold off on that for now. Um, and also the movie had zero international appeal. I mean, it's an American football movie. No one outside of the U.S. and select parts of Canada give a shit about American football. So it was going to live and die with the North American market. And it failed to move the box office chains. Uh, the movie cost upwards of $20 million and only managed to rush for $23 million at the box office. Uh, for reference, director David Ward's 1989 Major League cost only $11 million and made $75 million. So one could only assume that's the kind of return that Touchstone and Buena Vista, Buena Vista, whatever, were expecting with the program as well. Um, honestly, I think it's been released three or four years later. 
it would have done better. It needed a few more years of the angst-filled, lawless-ass 90s under our belts to mentally prepare the audience for a dark take on America's favorite college sport. I don't know. Do you guys think that makes sense? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm here for that. I, because, yeah. I mean, th- think about, well, I mean, though, to be fair, when was Starship Troopers was 98 or 99. So, yeah, I don't know. Tough call. But and even this movie, I would admit, I like the I didn't like the wrong things about this movie, but I didn't question the wrong things about this movie or the right things about this movie when I watched it as a kid. Well, yeah, when you watch it as a kid, you're just like, holy shit, people are getting hit really hard. There's a lot of testosterone. This is great. Not like, hey, the machine is bad. <laughs> yeah, like look at all these people getting wounded and hurt emotionally and physically, and no one cares. The machine just keeps churning. It's almost like the predator of sports movies, too, because the camaraderie between these giant, like, cartoon character humans is, like, the big draw. So that macho thing, it's like you ignore a lot of the the flaws because you're so enthralled with these characters. It's one of the strong points in the movie. So, you know, I don't know if this is the, the predator of sports movies. I think it's the showgirls of movies. It's the it's the showgirls of sports movies where listen, we're all gonna sell our bodies, but it's but really the villain of the piece is the machine itself. Yeah. And I'm saying people weren't prepared for what was it, 96's showgirls any more than they were 92's the program so yeah. showgirls is also t- like legitimately terrible i mean again the, you go the, back and the watch camp it. there the camp it's there is just like, yeah. the tone the tone is really funky it's super for, for what they're trying to do weird for me to ever watch kyle mclaughlin have like really raunchy sex scenes in a pool but i'm like <laughs> oh that's that's the guy from Twin Peaks. He likes coffee. What is you mean, Dune? He's the guy from Dune. <laughs> what is he happening? He is the right guy now? from Dune. He's mainly the guy from Dune. Um, All I'm trying to say is, sometimes the world isn't prepared for your message any more than the program or yeah. Starship Troopers or Showgirls was. Well, yeah, fair enough. What, what came out six years after this? Any given any Sunday, given Sunday made yeah. made a hundred million dollars. Yeah, and it point. does a lot of the same things that this movie does. It's a it better, does. it's a better movie, but it treads a lot of the same. Tropes. Here's my thing: you're tearing the pot apart. Yeah. I, I like this movie better than any given Sunday because I just think this works better in the college environment because it's less about just being a business. It's less about the money. It's more about the people and the exploitation. It's there's, more I think there's more to say. Fashion. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So and and you know I, and I guess for me just being a high school football player this hit harder than watching any given Sunday but you know it yeah any given Sunday clearly Oliver Stone made a ton more money much more famous cast um, the uh, uh, so where can you find this film it is on Tubi for free and you can rent it on most of your streaming platforms for three ninety nine uh, we've already mentioned the director and that is David Ward of This Sting he wrote it Major League wrote direct and the writer of Sleepless in Seattle fame. Oscar winning writer David yeah. F. Ward for The Sting and nominated writer for Sleepless in Seattle. Yes. This, uh, not going to be on the short list for original screenplays. This I mean, was not I, nominated. I appreciate the breadth of that particular, you know, like the, the guy's not constrained to one genre. He's going kind of all over the place. I appreciate and, that. Yeah. 
and my favorite movie of his major league like he basically wrote because he was a tortured indians fan and it's like i should make a movie about this uh i believe they are the warriors they're the guardians now the guardians Guardians. oh way better yep uh is anybody else shocked though to find out that the guy that wrote major league also wrote sleepless in seattle because that blew my mind yeah no i mean major league is very funny um obviously like humor is an incredibly difficult thing to write and what's weird is this movie is not funny at all really so i was more surprised that he wrote this as a put like the sting is a pretty snappy punchy movie so that wasn't all yeah. that surprising but yeah like they're two like completely opposite sports movies like it's the major league's an underdog movie it's predominantly a comedy uh it's very uplifting and this is they're they're not underdogs uh it's not at all funny and it's very tragic so i was more surprised at that yeah 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 well and and most of the characters in major league are likable almost none of the characters in this movie are likable you've got one or two yeah yeah and even then they're they're flawed (laughs) so uh let's get into the cast uh we've got james santa slay con returning welcome back to the pod uh as head coach sam winters we have Craig Nightbreed Schaefer, Schaefer, whatever, is QB Joe Kane. Kane is able. Uh, he's also in Turbulence 3, Heavy Metal. Ooh. I, only I, know, I did not like, know that. There's a guy that's like a kiss ripoff in that movie that has to f- help fly the plane. Wow. <laughs> Lauren Holly also in Turbulence 3, Heavy Metal. Wow. Uh, we've got a, a, a relatively young uh, Halle Berry as Autumn Haley. We have Christy Swanson as, as Barry Schaefer. Holly. <laughs> Barry Holly, yeah. I mean, much. it is it is a, <laughs> a suspicious name at at a minimum. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we have Omar Epps as running back Darnell Jefferson. Dwayne Featherstone Davis as linebacker Alvin Mack. Mizzou. He played and, linebacker there. <laughs> yep. And we've got Andrew Butterfingers Bernowski as Steve Latimer. Welcome back to the pod. It's exciting. It's exciting to have two Barnyarsky movies in one month's time. Yeah, that, that's a, back that was a back Barnyarsky. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's uh, a Hudson Hawk reference. He was Butterfingers, the CIA know, he, agent. He kind of ruled the 90s. Hudson Hawk was his first movie, but then in 92, he, he pops up in Batman Returns as Chip Shrek, son of Christopher Walken's Max Shrek. And perhaps <laughs> most crucially, and maybe the highlight of his career, if you go back and watch it, he literally does a walk-in voice to walk-in's face, and it's on screen. It, it like, almost, oh, yeah. Oh, dad. Oh, dad. You gotta, you gotta, we gotta get out of here, dad. Dad. <laughs> dad, there's a man in the sewer, dad. And your former and, secretary is a cat. <laughs> and the wildest <laughs> thing is that, like, Barnarski's a huge dude, but he looks just like walking in that scene you're like yeah no questions that's definitely his son that's, oh for that's sure yeah that's tim definitely burton's his magic right there <laughs> yeah. that's just movie magic with tim burton it's like, uh, like cut andrew I, I, I need more i need more christopher out of you <laughs> yeah. hey like border on parody let's go yeah. i'm kind of convinced though like look at what he does with butterfingers look at what he does in this role then what he does in Batman Returns, I'm pretty sure Walken was like, you son of a bitch. You did my voice to my face? And like basically used whatever connections he had 
to end this man's career. Because uh, he was Leatherface in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot. Yeah, Come but on. I mean, look at that arc, though. <laughs> look at how you go from you go from a, a like, oh, you're the big dumb guy, right? Oh, okay. To yeah, you're nah. the big dumb guy, but like in this role, he's got a lot to do. By the time you get to Batman, where he's like he's a random back character and his size has no meaning whatsoever. Yeah, I, I think what you're missing here is that probably speed ended his career because oh. the the Arnold archetype of the buff action hero fell out of favor for a while. So I don't know though. He was either going to be muscle or a goon at that point. He'd lost in the ability to, to yeah. progress past the character it uh, was, active uh, stuff. He missed but he the did a whole Russian accent. I still say something's up. Man. This guy should have been bigger than he was. I'm not saying he, he sounds be like, like he big. might be well, an asshole. The character of Latimer oh. really attempted to be bigger than he was. Uh, <laughs> and, I mean, he did get busted for animal cruelty. Charges were dropped. Oh, he did get I did not know that. That's cruelty. kind of a bummer, actually. Yeah. Hey, and just to jump back to the cast here, because this is my 90s crush. And last but not least, we also have Joey Lauren Adams as Luann Winters the head coach's daughter. All right, so IMDB describes this movie as follows. Several players from different backgrounds try to cope with the pressures of playing football at a major university. Each deals with the pressure differently. Some turn to drinking, others to drugs, and some to studying. Yeah, <laughs> not a thing, the studying thing, IMDB. He studies out of necessity. He doesn't turn to studying to cope not, with the pressures of football. Yeah, not so much a coping method or mechanism, that is, more so just I need to stay eligible. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. But he was willing to put the work in. Which is mean, good for him. If, like if if they were like saying some turn to like infidelity, sure. Then I then I get it. Like his whole like yeah. half of his arc is just being a terrible teammate. Like <laughs> I'm gonna steal your girlfriend. Yeah, that was that was probably the most unnecessary plot angle in the movie, but uh, why not? It, it was it was interesting, I suppose. Um, Captain yeah, Cash, it's, it's what's the your... '90s? You have to have a romantic uh, subplot or two, or two, and yeah. however yeah. unnecessary either may be. Really, three. Yeah. Don't forget Collins and the coach's daughter. Yeah, that... which is a rip I'd... from the headlines deal. I'd like to have a like a like a debate on at some point on the worst teammate on this team because the the field is thick so several candidates yeah. several candidates oh. uh, fun fact captain cash you probably don't know this that the backup quarterback is dating the coach's daughter angle is actually referring to a real life uh, case where the starting quarterback not the backup at colorado was dating the coach's daughter and it was an interracial couple. So that made it extra uh, uh, controversial at the time. Uh, I think he, he got her pregnant, which again, now you're really in the doghouse regardless. And then he developed aggressive brain cancer and oh, passed Jesus. away. Yep. So it, became, it went from being sort of like a, a controversial, like, Oh, he's fucking the coach's daughter to a, to tragic a full story. fucking tragedy tragedy. Jesus. Yeah. And she became a single uh, mother to his, his son. Yeah. I can't think of his name now, but, but that was like, a, I think that was like an early night, late eighties, late eighties, very, very early nineties. Uh, I, I ripped from the headlines reality. Anyway, your one-liner is my, Oh, wait, wait. so my one-liner, I, we kind of already did my one-liner, but you know, 
Sports Showgirls. Sure. The end. Mm, okay. Mr. Wizard, how would you describe this movie well, in one sense? I kind of foreshadowed it, but this movie is essentially just any given Saturday. Oh, I like yeah, that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That fits. And so here's mine. The program, the kids of sports movies. Yeah, I can see that. It's just too. very 90s to me. I, I see this as a yeah. very time capsule movie. And and equally as kind of raw like kids was, sort of like, oh, yeah. they're, they're saying the quiet parts out loud because it's it's the edgy, lawless ass 90s. I, I can say I think with is- confidence, though, I will rewatch this movie until the end of time. And I'm pretty comfortable never watching kids again. So, yeah, yeah, that's a one and done for me, too, dog. What I will say, what, what does save this movie in terms of being rewatchable is some of the great character interactions in the locker room and football stuff. Some of the melodrama doesn't hold up well and some of the social commentaries um, don't, you know, hold up all that well. But some of the locker room quips are great. And, and that football talk stuff works out. You know, it, it holds up. You know, it's not problematic. The thing I think is, again, it's still interesting to me that like a lot of the stuff in this film where they're like, oh, it's meant to be controversial. I now just kind of assume happens because I guess I'm old and jaded as shit. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was one of the interesting parts of this movie is that that was like the stuff that didn't get talked about or got swept under the rug or wasn't part of Rudy. You don't see that side of things. It pops up in the, the media, but this is before the internet news cycle. So there's a lot of stuff that just didn't, you know, get reported outside of local media. Didn't well, make yeah, much noise. I mean, we didn't know Aaron Hernandez was a problem until he was a problem. Like it, he did a lot of bad things in Florida that nobody heard about because they made sure they disappeared. Yeah. But yeah, he, he probably killed or shot at several people before he finally killed somebody. And uh, people knew that was happening. One of the things I've always heard about uh, Chris Henry and Adam Jones's time, Pac-Man at West Virginia, is that everyone is just surprised they didn't kill anybody while they were there. But those guys both made it out with NFL careers relatively unscathed. I mean, they were just absolutely monsters in Morgantown. We hear about all this stuff now, and I guess we're maybe a little desensitized to it. But I mean, Adam Jones was involved in a shooting in Las Vegas, left a man paralyzed. And uh, after he, he turned pro, yeah, and he but he, you know, like he didn't really suffer all that much for that. He went on to play for like another ten years. Yeah, he, he paid some money. He got you know had an out of court settlement. You know, like think, so, you know, but all yeah, these never went to jail. Happening, uh, you know, you think about the '90s. Like, if you want to compare this, Lawrence Phillips, who when I used to live in St. Louis was drafted by the Rams, and if you watch a documentary on Lawrence Phillips's time at Nebraska, that makes the shit in this movie look like patty cake it was bad stuff like yeah he's I mean, all of the things in this movie into one guy yeah <laughs> it's like uh-huh. all the bad stuff concentrated into one yeah. human being he was uh, he's an absolute terror yeah uh, allegedly wow yeah that it's tough documentary to watch for sure so yeah let's talk about this movie though and the plot um and as you can already guess this movie follows the ups and downs of a college football season at the fictional eastern state university the team is led by Heisman hopeful QB Joe Kane and a gruff head coach Sam Winters. The team is facing major challenges on and off the field as they attempt to secure a spot in a major bowl game. Joe is boozing and dealing with family baggage. His backup quarterback and the coach's daughter get tangled up in a test cheating scandal. 
the star linebacker is functionally illiterate and suffers a career-ending injury. The new starting D lineman is juiced out of his mind and a sexual predator. And there's a love triangle causing havoc in the offensive backfield. Oh, yeah. And uh, Christy Swanson is rehabbing and playing tennis. She's also selling used cars in Texas because her outfits throughout the movie scream used car salesman in Texas. <laughs> also, she plays tennis in jean shorts. That's not a thing that D1 athletes do, especially ones who are there for tennis. I don't know. It was the 90s. <laughs> jean shorts kind of worked for everything. Yeah, when did uh, Under Armour happen? Not a, not until at least like 2000. Yeah, right? like yeah, 2001-ish. So, mm. first time, I think it might have been a little earlier. The first time I ever saw Under Armour was, I kid you not, I think it was like a USA Today with Jeff George on it, and he had a mock turtleneck on it. It had a weird logo on it. True story. Look it up, folks. I'm not making that up. What are uh, they going to wear under their padding, or, or modern-day armor, if you will? Yeah, good old Jeff George. Hold on. I got an idea. What if they wore under armor? I, I cannot believe that Jeff George is the first athlete you saw wearing Under Armour. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, yeah. So this movie covers several, maybe all of the standard college football like scandal tropes. We've got steroid abuse, lax academic rules and enforcement, $100 handshakes, boosters sweeping scandals under the rug, institutional ambivalence towards sexual assault, boozy bar fights, cultural clashes uh, resulting in teammates from varying socioeconomic levels and statuses uh, not getting along, tone-deaf corporate PR flax carefully curating the program's image, and morally flexible coaches willing to do whatever it takes to win and protect the program. The program covers it all, and it does it uh, mostly well. So, and here's the thing we keep going back to, and I feel like it bears highlighting yet again, that all of this sounds cliche when you say it now, but 30 years ago, this sort of feels very yeah. like pointed, like, Hey, everybody, this is some horrible shit that's happening. Yeah. And I kind of did my plot summary in that sort of like run on sentence fashion to just point out this movie just piles all of that on you though. I think that's the problem. It's cliche on cliche on cliche. And this, this feels like, the start of those cliches may like i mean i don't know I, I i don't how many college sports movies do you know from the 80s and well, 70s well the, i think the closest thing to this and the thunderous wizard could probably speak more intelligently to this than i can but north dallas 40 with nick nolte uh yeah north dallas 40 uh if you haven't read that book you should listeners it's a great book based on the uh a dallas cowboys team in the 70s and basically like this is what pro football is painkiller abuse, heavy boozing, uh, just really irresponsible, brash, obnoxious, irresponsible behaviors. Um, and essentially the guy who wrote the book, he was this wide receiver. He wasn't a good player. And his bad behaviors began to become the target of the organization because he could be punished. The star players you can't punish, but a guy who's a fifth wide receiver, you can it's a really good book. It's a really good movie. Um, you know, I often, I compare this to Necessary Roughness, which is a comedy, but that came out two years before this, which is essentially like the sequel to this movie because it's a team that did all of these things and is now 
serving their penance for doing all those things. And so they only have like actual student athletes. They only have enough players to field one side of the ball. So they play Ironman football, but it's, it's weird because nowadays a movie like this, or even playmakers was really popular, but ESPN got in trouble with the NFL because playmakers was showing a bad side of football. So Um, if you, you're captain cash, if you want to see a better version, a more cohesive version of mm -hmm. the program's plot points, watch that first season of the program on ESPN. It's a fantastic, effectively a soap opera for dudes that follows it follows almost all of these plot points effectively. Yeah. Steroids, including the dueling yeah. steroids, dueling running backs, all of um, it, yeah. all of it. Uh, you know, sexual assault. And even there's even more stuff. There's like, you know, one of the players is in the closet and it was just, it was too real because it was subtle. It was thoughtful. And the NFL was like ESPN got to cut this out. Yeah. Either cut it or you can't show our highlights or our games, which I think like, you can find this this movie on YouTube basically in 1080p for free, which has to probably still infuriate both the NFL and the NCAA because it is telling truths that they are probably uncomfortable with. And it's showing you how football used to be run, where it was basically like you get knocked down, you get the fuck up, or you, you go home. These guys are doing drills that would not be done now because they're not <laughs> safe. Uh, yeah, you can't make the club in the tub. Yeah. So you just, you know. Smelling uh, salts. The, the, Get them the smelling yeah. salts. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know, I definitely saw guys shake concussions off to stay in games. You know, you had to be like functionally unconscious before they would actually take your helmet away. If you were a starter. <laughs> like they would do anything to keep people in the games. Unless like you, you, you were either not cold or appeared to be brain damaged. <laughs> it's uh yeah and that was high school and that was high school in the 90s college was you know wasn't any better anything broken are you hurt are you injured exactly if you're hurt you can get up if you're injured you can't play yeah that's this is the movie that introduced that concept to me i had never heard that before until this movie you know like as much as we say that like that was such a huge part of the rugby culture at the time we played like oh yeah i'm not not coming out of the game why would i come out well your shoulder's out of the socket it'll be fine I'll be fine. And, and let's just face it, you know, uh, high school football is, is very big in Ohio. It's very big in Texas. It's very big in a lot of places, but it, it's pretty big in Ohio. A lot of the guys who played rugby with, they all played high school football. There was no high school rugby in the in the 90s and early aughts. And I played with a guy that, yeah, he, he dislocated his shoulder. He went onto the sideline, stepped on his hand and reset it, said, I'll take a few plays off and I'll be back in. It was, it was madness. But anyway. Yeah, you know, like, and this movie at 93, right? By 99, Shark LeVay and Any Given Sunday, they're, they're addressing the concussion thing, even though it really wasn't big yet then. Like it wasn't, we weren't blowing the doors open with CTE and, and the discoveries made through Mike Webster's brain and everything else. But like, even then it's like, if you get hit again, you're going to die. Yeah, yeah. But like at this point in time, like nobody's really thinking about that. I don't, but literally nobody was stopping anybody until it got to that point. Then. Yeah. 
<laughs> it, was, it was sort of it was sort of like, oh, how did we get here? Oh, well, maybe we should take a look at their history. Um, and, and I have to add here because I kind of breezed through that plot because it's not super important. You know, it's, it is a lot of negative cliches about football. There's a lot of cool rock room football stuff like that. I'm not going to go into detail because you know what? You should, you should watch this movie. If you're a sports movie fan at all, you should definitely check this one out if you have it. But what I really like the way is that this movie ends on such a nihilistic note. It ends the only way it can really, uh, it, it really can, uh, with the coaches heading out to recruit the next class of meat bags to feed to the program. Yeah, there's some really dark shit that happens. Um, the end is just poignant. Is like it shows you one how much Winters doesn't really care about any of these people. He doesn't know who they are. They're they're giving him like rundowns as he's going to places, which means he's like as casually invested in who these people are and where they come from as humanly possible. He's there to sell you on his agenda, get you to come to the school so he can win games and not get fired. Cause he's getting millions of dollars while you get maybe a shot at the pros. Well, yeah. And, and for Alvin Mack, right. Who gets severely injured and, and is the guy that's a surefire first round pick. It's just so tragic. Some of the, some of this movie, this is a brotherhood movie. This is about the team. This is about the way they, they come together, the way they support each other. That's why I like it. But man, there's just some really stuff like gut punch stuff in here. There is. And the way that they present a lot of these issues are ham-fisted, cliche, very 90s in their sensibilities. Oh, the delivery is very 90210. It's like, yeah. And then this happens. And of course this happens because you can't go 30 minutes without something super dramatic happening because that's how the 90s were like, Let's pour on the schmaltz. Here we go. And then yeah. this guy is this. Uh, and the only reason it works in, uh, at all is because the dialogue between the characters and, and the way they react and, and the way their motivations are sort of explained and developed, you care just enough about every one of these characters. You care about some more than others, but you, you actually oh, care sure, about yeah. them just enough to feel the gut punches, to, to hate them. To, yeah. to not to not like them and, and it has its charms they're, they're not super strong but it definitely has its charms but, but you hate the right people and you sympathize with the right with the people. right people like, yeah you know you don't leave this movie thinking latimer's like a good dude no or bobby collins is a good dude but, but you, you do feel bad feel for alvin mack for alvin mack and you feel for mm. joe kane and you have high hopes that maybe darnell jefferson can emerge from this machine with his health yeah. and maybe a you know a brighter future. Hey, hey, Joe and Darnell, you know, could be quite the dynamic duo. And one's dating Christy Swanson, the other's going to be dating Halle Berry. They're they're doing okay, relatively speaking. Well, not until not they now, suffer yeah. a, until now, they suffer a, a horrific injury. Now Joe Kane's accompanying his tennis girlfriend to a QAnon rally because that's where Swanson's at these days. <laughs> Oh, geez. really? Yeah. Buffy, no. Yeah. No, Buffy, no. Buffy, the common sense slayer. Yeah, how's her name not Buffy in this movie? Buffy. Buffy. Uh, yeah, so let's rate this movie on beers here. And I'm going to give this movie three fun beers at 114 minutes. Um, you have plenty of time to work in three beers. And they will help smooth over some of the more ham-fisted cliches this movie throws at you. Gentlemen, what are your rankings? I'll start with you, Captain Cash. I don't, I don't know. I can call this fun beers because the movie isn't fun. At least not like in a traditional way where like it's so bad. I'm like, oh, okay, I've got a drink to to get power to power through this, and it's kind of silly. 
it's but it's not bad like it's a weird like yeah three seems fair to just kind of like generally dumb myself down enough that i buy the suspension of disbelief but like it's not this movie's not a good time it had it is in small moments i guess if you focus on those it makes it easier but yeah if you have too many beers and you get to the part where uh mac breaks his leg you you might get verklempt like like varsity blues is fun and the stakes are relatively low and that's very fair you know like but but it's still got some you hate uh uh, not James Caan, but you know uh, John Voight. You definitely yeah. hate him in that movie, but you like everybody else. Yeah, and and here it feels like everyone's a victim, but some people are slightly more complicit in the the evil that is the program. So it's hard to like. Yeah, I don't know. Three and three beers is good. I wouldn't like. It's not a bad movie. It's, it's, it's not poorly bag. acted. I don't. Yeah. I don't well, love it, yeah. but it's not, it's not, it's like, uh, it, so I'm going to go way extreme, right? Like everyone's seen Schindler's List at least once. And you're like, yeah, don't need to watch that again. Wait, no, hold on. No, is this, I thought this was <laughs> the strip, uh, the striptease of uh, sports movies. Now That's you're saying campy. This, now you're saying it's the Schindler's List. No, it's, 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 it's not. It's not that. But it, it, this is one of those films where I know, I know. There's kidding. not a lot to hang the fun on. There's mostly just a parade of tragedy. Uh, and okay. It's like, that's, that's fair. Uh, I don't. What about what about the hitting scene set to Welcome to the Jungle? Yeah, dude. Come on, man. That is so badass. That that's a finish your beer moment, and then when Latimer and Max spit in each other's spit mouths, in each other's mouths, that's also a finish your beer moment. <laughs> Starting defense, place at the table. There's so much like <laughs> f yeah moments in this movie. This movie was a lot more homoerotic than I expected. Uh, yeah, but did you play high school football? I did not, but I was also not expecting like showgirls level of homoerotic. Oh, no, no, no. Let, let me tell you, as a four-year high school football player, this is exactly as, as homoerotic as I expected it to be. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Well, now that we got that out of the way, Thunderous Wizard, what's your beer rating for this movie? Uh, this is two to three enjoyment beers, because I really like this movie. Uh, it's a tough watch. So maybe it's like it's two and a half enjoyment beers. It's a beer of being sort of sad especially when alvin mack gets hurt which is just brutal someone has been hurt in such a fashion it's tell us why it's so sad thunderous wizard why is it so sad to see that specific player suffer that injury because now alvin mack's not a perfect individual by any means like obviously he doesn't take school seriously he's well that's an understatement yeah what's his major deficiency uh i forget He's functionally illiterate. Oh yeah, no, no, yeah, he can barely. He reads. Or he's a functioning level. illiterate. Yeah, yeah, and, and and but he's such a stud on the football field that they just pushed him through school his entire life. But he and he's he, on the precipice yeah. of being done with that and finally getting the NFL, which in a fair and just world he could have gone to straight out of high school. Yeah, and there's of like this whole charade of playing for free for nothing. There's this scene where he gives his mom this gold door knocker, and he's like, "And then I'm going to get you the house when I get drafted." Because, 
not only can he read, he's also from a very impoverished area. He lives like yeah. in a shotgun shack somewhere in the South. And then essentially like, you know, none of his teammates show up to see him when he's hurt. And the last image you have of him, he's sitting at home alone with his family, listening to the game on an old radio. He doesn't even have a TV. And Tears the in his eyes. sort of shows up and gives him like a, hey, uh, yeah, maybe it'll be okay. But like, you're not my problem now because I can't use you anymore sort of thing. So, you know, for those moments, uh, Bobby Collins is really annoying and you, you hate him and the good, like the just thing happens to him, but then something beyond their control happens and they got to bring him back. Meaning that being Joe Kane having to go to rehab. So like, you know, like people like Bobby Collins, who's sort of this like awful piece of shit gets rewarded in a way. And guy like Alvin Mack gets punished in a way. And, you know, Latimer, who should probably be in jail for what he does in the movie, you know, serves a very moderate suspension. So it's those moments are tough, but all the fun stuff, the camaraderie stuff, the hitting, the hard, the hard knocks element of it. Uh, Then you get a half a beer to celebrate the fact that Joe Kane's dad, who's this drunken buffoon, uh, was actually the guy that got run over by the Green Goblin, Big Rig, and Maximum Overdrive. So have this a little, true. have a little half beer celebration. Yeah, <laughs> just realize. just know that that guy got his his comeuppance in the yeah. end. And, and I just want to point out this movie also uses availability is the best ability uh, cliche several times, and that and that and that's it's really I think it's poignant that he that the coach picks his backup quarterback over his daughter to save his academic and eligibility career because both his daughter and the backup quarterback were dating and she was going to take a test for him gets busted. They both get expelled, but when the coach needs a quarterback, he goes and gets the backup reinstated and does bump kiss for his daughter because she can't help him win games. Yeah. She's uh, she'll be fine at the Juco. She's now attending. But Bobby yeah. Collins, the guy who couldn't be bothered to go to class in the first place, who may win two of four games at best, we could bring him back. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll pull some strings and uh, we'll get him. Because, yeah, the coach had basically the coach had some political capital. He uses it on his backup QB, not his daughter. Anyway, I'll just add here real quickly that uh, uh, Roger Ebert gave this movie three out of four stars, uh, but he also might have a water sports fetish. He was really interested in all the drug testing and pee stuff. He just seemed to think that was really interesting. This movie gave like very good instructions on how to beat a drug test. So Raj, always trying to game the system because you know that the Critics Association is always testing pee. They got to make sure you're not juicing those fingers to write yeah. the most quippy reviews. Yeah, you don't want to piss hot on that and they, yeah, uh, they'll no. demote your ass. No, you'll be in big trouble. Yeah. Gene Shallow right. busted. Absolutely. All right. It's time to grab another Dankful IPA and talk more about our thoughts on the program. But before we do that, here's a message from our Hakaloogie in each other's mouth pals over at the Hot Nation USA podcast. Hey, everyone. This is Steve. And this is Adam. And we're part of the Hot Nation USA podcast. Pittsburgh's number three craft beer podcast. Join us every Friday for new beer reviews. We'll talk about the news, history, and homebrewing. Plus, we'll sit down with the best brewers and industry personalities that'll have us. So whether you're a casual drinker, a hazy boy hophead, or even if you're a whale hunting cellar hoarder, just search Hop Nation USA on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher and join the nation. 
Welcome back, folks, to our 124th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops, brought to you by Wobam Entertainment. We're still talking about 1993's The Program, and I just feel like I've said The Program way too many times on this pod, but whatever. You've um, said it more times than Lance Armstrong says it. The character Lance Armstrong says it in the other movie, The Program, also about doping, coincidentally. Of course. Strangely, major plot points in both films. Yeah. Yep. Um, Having your piece siphoned out of your penis, major plot points in both films. And again, really interesting to Roger Ebert. Um, would you recommend watching this movie? I'll start with you, Thunderous Wizard. I think I know oh, the answer. Yeah, 100%. Uh, the football scenes are great in this movie. They're also great in Unnecessary Roughness because they both used NFL films and they shot them with like four cameras. So the hits, like, they look real, man. And it, yeah. it, they beat the snot out of each other. They brought on like, what, like 65 extras who were real Division One football players. So like, yes. this feels like football. And so... So I think I read an article and you probably read the same one, T-Dubs. Because uh, uh, this won't history. come up later. Yeah, this won't come yeah. up later. So let's quickly talk about it now. Yeah, they brought in like former college players. They brought in former arena players. Yep. Uh, because apparently this paid better than arena ball. <clears throat> Excuse me. Shot it at halftime of a South Carolina game. Like some of the football scenes. Like this yep. feels like so legit. And and they actually they actually ran plays. Like they ran functional plays together to get some of those scenes so they weren't all chopped up. That's when you see those big, long shots of plays. They were really executing that stuff together, and those guys were really hitting each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, no, they, they were really were... making those catches. I mean, that, there's no CGI in this movie, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, they were. And, I think they were saying, like, like the guys, because Latimer wasn't a football player, and he, he was doing a lot of these, these reps, like they yeah. were really trying to put it on him to show him, like, you, you don't pretend to be a football player. Like yeah, he's a bodybuilder. You got to earn our respect out here. Yeah, yeah. Latimer had been a bodybuilder. Uh, uh, I can't think of the guy's name that played uh, uh, Alvin Mack. Uh, Dwayne Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Davis was yeah legit linebacker played from Mizzou. His dad's yeah. an NFL Hall of Famer. Yeah, uh, and his yeah. son just got drafted by the Minnesota Vikings. So yeah, yeah. And, and one of the reasons that they they uh, took a uh, Nightbreed to be Joe Kane is he could actually sling the ball. He could throw it like a good forty to fifty yards. He claims he threw it sixty five. I don't believe that. I, I don't believe that because his he might form have, is he, terrible. But he might have thrown it like forty yards and like good yeah. enough. Yeah, I mean um, that's still it, a very long way to throw a ball. It, it's not terrible for an actor, and they did actually have another quarterback coming to throw for him. But he did throw some of his own he, balls because he, he, he was good enough. enough. He wanted to do his own stunts. They're like, no. They let him do okay. one of like one of those big runs, but they're like, dude, we can't have you getting hit like yeah. six, seven times in a row. But guess who did yeah. do his all all his own stunts? Scott Bakula in an unnecessary, unnecessary <laughs> roughness because he is the best. So you know, I, I'll bring this up now because I, I, I doesn't come up later. What's the football movie? It's like a high school, but they graduated. They come back to replay the game with Tom Cruise and Robin Williams. It's uh, it's not, it's not Tom Cruise. It's uh, Kurt Russell. Is it Kurt it's, Russell? It's called, oh, the, I think it's called the best of times. And it's all because Robin Williams dropped the big catch. So he wants to have that moment like again, so he can catch, or he didn't get thrown the ball in this big moment. Uh, it's a good movie. The best of times. Oh, yeah. I always thought that was Tom Cruise. Cause yeah, uh, Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell was like the stud. Robin Williams was like essentially the Lucas type character. That was a bench warming yeah. dweeb. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, because I was just going to ask if Tom Cruise did all his stunts in that movie, but never mind. It's Cruise. No, he's in uh, All the Right Moves, also a football movie. And his coach is coach from Coach. <laughs> Craig T. Nelson. Wow. And, and this is where I get to mention that Dauber is uh, the voice of Patrick. Hey, SpongeBob. Yeah. Yeah, we're, all, we're just covering all the football bases right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good times. Uh, Captain Cash, would you recommend watching this movie? I mean, it's, it's not bad. It's worth a shot. And I mean, I, I do go back to kind of what you guys touched on is this was 90, what did we say, two or one? Forget Three. It. Three. 93. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So everything that happens on film really happened, which is pretty cool. Um, I do think it comes at you with the cliche canon, but it's also one of those situations where, well, yeah, but this also sort of was the progenitor of all those cliches. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. like as a sports movie, it it's good. It's well-directed. I don't think it should have flopped. Yeah, I'm shocked it didn't make more money too. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, yeah, like a 50, yeah, 60 million dollar haul yeah. would not have like been yeah. that surprising to me. But and I've got some thoughts on that. It'll come up later. But you know, I'll say yeah, I would recommend watching this movie. It does get bogged down a bit because it covers so many different threads and tracks so many different characters. But it's a pretty great football movie. And to your point, Captain Cash, it does accurately display a ton of the toxic. Uh, cliches and some of the more homoerotic locker room activities that totally existed in football in the, at least in my experience, the eighties and nineties. Um, so this is definitely the nineties football team that PCU deserved. These guys should have played at PCU, not ESU. Chester um, whooping cranes. Exactly. I, I could uh, never imagine Alvin Mack committing to a team whose mascot was the whooping crane. Well, it wasn't when he, he was recruited. That happened True. after yeah. he got on True. campus. Um, these guys would have totally fit in with the pit crew. I could have seen yeah. these guys headbanging with the pit. Latimer headbanging with the pit, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and to the Thunderous Wizards point, there are some just like immensely quotable scenes in this movie as far as like sports stuff. It's not as good as Major League, but it's got its moments. Kill them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the paramedics sort them out. Uh, are, are you guys surprised it flopped? I think we just kind of covered that. Yeah, I'm surprised this didn't make you know double its budget. It was going to be a huge hit, but I'm shocked this didn't double its budget. Its its biggest issue is that it's R, and it's definitely targeted to high school football players. So I yeah. guess in '93 though that that probably shouldn't have been as big a deal, but it is a barrier. Well, and that's the problem. I mean, this is an R-rated movie, and the target audience is like 14. Because that's the about the sensibilities that it's given. It's the about target audience's understanding of the world. Yeah, is people willing to spit in each other's mouths? <laughs> that's uh, the, yeah. It's like, just oh, so different yeah. after having lived through a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how it started. This is probably patient zero right here. Um, you, you know, so I'm kind of shocked that it flopped, but I'm also not because I think the problem this movie has in terms of being commercially viable is it's just too nihilistic at almost every turn. Like there's just, it's not the kind of movie people were expecting in 93 and that's not the way it was marketed. It was marketed like the program and like you're, you're thinking these guys are going to be like a, a team that works together to overcome adversity. That's not this yeah. movie at all. When you watch the trailer, you'll see how 
stereotypical uh, rah-rah they were pitching. It's like the field brought them together. It, like it's, it's quite yeah. something. The, yeah. <laughs> literally the trailer that I found is from like a VHS tape that somebody oh, recorded and put on YouTube. Nice. Yeah. Does it have that nice, like the audio buzz yep. sound? On yep. it? Yeah, that, yeah, that just, that seals the moment. It is incredible. <laughs> From Buena Vista, coming soon. <laughs> yeah. They disnified the fuck out of that trailer. And I don't know. I mean, if you see the trailer, and so I didn't get to see the movie in theaters, but I saw the trailer, but then I got to see it on cable, you know, like on HBO or Showtime or something at Buddy's house. And after you see the trailer, your mind's blown. You see the real movie. It's almost like renting a VHS from the video store and getting a porno inside of it instead of what you thought. Like well, this isn't the movie you were expecting from the trailer. This was intense. It was nuts. It was it was nineties. It was edgy. I remember I was gonna see this in theaters with like my dad or something, and it it got pulled. So it was like, yeah, it like the movie essentially disappeared and didn't reemerge like in my sphere like for two years because it took forever for movies to get to you know to home video back then i was like what happened to this was it just terrible like because it just was like gone and then like later you find out it's because a bunch of dipshits did something stupid and which is also in the trailer yeah (laughs) the scene was also in the trailer and everyone heard about the scandal and that will come up so we'll hold off on that for now captain cash uh are you surprised it flopped I mean, it's a tough call because kind of as we had mentioned, it only can find success in America. But it was 93, so it only really needed to find success in America. On $20 million, yes. That was totally Yeah, and that's that's not that much. I mean, like even in 93 standards, that's not that much. So, no, and, and the budget could have been as low as like 15. I've seen numbers lower, but I honestly think the number of football players and people that the extras they had to hire probably added uh, the cost. I think that's where that number balloons because they did a lot to shoot those football scenes practically. So, but yeah, but anyway, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. You didn't need to get a huge return on this to be successful, and, and doing that in America was totally a possibility. Yeah, and back, you know, 93, doubling up your budget is, was a win. And, oh, totally, because yeah, home, home media was going to do the rest because that was such yeah, a – this was is expensive. still the blockbuster yeah. era. Like, the, like there was a ton of money to be made in VHS at this time. Oh, I mean, no, no, not even. Like, this is, this is right where the blockbuster actually starts to be a thing, mm-hmm. right? No, video rental was a thing for the 80s. This is the like, perfect blockbuster movie. But this is, this is like – this is like getting towards peak blockbuster. You're heading into that era of peak blockbuster. Yeah, the perfect, so there's t- there's tons of money for the studio on the back end. It's the perfect movie to convince your parents it's okay to watch because it's about sports, and they and, the tra- have, and, and <laughs> yeah, they have no idea what yeah, it's and the trailer seems reasonable. Yeah, there's nothing about any of the insanity, really. And, and the funny thing too is this: this is a generation of kids that had already seen RoboCop too. So this really wasn't that shocking. Uh, it was just shocking to see young people doing it as football players in an academic institution. Um, you know, did this movie achieve what it set out to do? Uh, honestly, yeah. This is exactly the movie David Ward wanted to make because uh, I read that same oral history that, uh, uh, which is like on an ancient ESPN the magazine link or something like that. Yeah, Google yeah, it, you'll find there. it. Yeah, it's out there, and it's pretty interesting. It interviews a lot of the cast and the crew, and like the football coordinators and all that stuff. 
I mean, and yeah, this movie did give an unflinching look at some of the, you know, dirty realities facing major college football programs in that time and even you know, stuff that happened previously in the 80s and 70s. Um, and, but, you know, it's a little too melodramatic, I think, at times, and it does border on caricature, but some of that's intentional and they still feel mostly human. Like we said before, you do care about these guys or hate them. And you do feel stuff when you see them go through things. Um, uh, any thoughts, T-dubs? Captain no, Cash? I think this, I mean, you said it, he said it, it's exactly the movie he wanted to make. I think it says all the right things that need to be said about college football. Um, especially now it's just as relevant now as it was then. Like the, these kids are still being exploited. So yeah. You know, I think uh, Captain Cash, you'll enjoy this because we've had this conversation before. Um, you couldn't make this movie today. You couldn't make Blazing Saddles again today. We've talked about that crap in the past and stuff. Yeah. Horseshit, you could. Yeah, horseshit, you could. As long as it's good, it'll work. Yeah. I honestly think this is a movie you probably couldn't make today in the way that it was made because they used actual colleges in this movie. The only compromise they had to make was that you've got, you got Eastern State University. I'm versus sorry. a real college. ESU, you mean Empire State University, where yep. Spider-Man yep. goes to school. Spider-Man goes. Yep, that's true. Spider-Man, their most famous alum. But they play Michigan. They play against uh, I don't, other schools. And they got to film in South Carolina, like in Columbia. Yeah, There's fair. no way any NCAA entity would would be would, involved in this at would all. Would get anywhere like, near in, something that right. is basically critiquing critiquing their entire existence. Yeah, because you I, look six years later to any given Sunday, and that's completely hundred percent fiction. All, all fiction. Yeah. My favorite thing is uh, any given Sunday they they are allowed to use the Dallas Stadium because they want people to see the stadium, but they can't use the teams. But uh, Michigan's like, yeah, we'll be in it, but we can't lose. It's like so you don't object to like the sexual assault or the steroid abuse drug or, use or the, or any or of the, other the stuff. shitty, the as, shitty morally ambiguous coaches. Yeah. As long as you win the game, <laughs> your university can be represented in this movie. It's, it's, that's so, like, that's so meta. That is, that, that's like nineties is a lawless ass time. Here you go. We'll compromise all of our morals. As long as we win. No, that tracks. <laughs> no, that yeah. that's completely tracks. But yeah, uh, I uh, I'm, and I'm shocked. I am shocked the NCAA did not like it put in an injunction to have this movie pulled because uh, that's not the reason it got pulled. It got pulled for another reason. It, it's it is surprising that this is even like out there to be purchased or anything. Like yeah, for could, free, you can yeah. watch it for free. I mean, like technically Disney owns it. I'm surprised they just haven't killed it because it doesn't really fit their image. So nope. And I meant to mention that when we talked about where you can find it, it is most certainly not on Disney Plus. Although it was free on Amazon Prime not that long ago. Um, I'll start with you, Captain Cash, because I'm really interested to hear your answer here on my next question. Do you have a favorite line or quote from the movie? Listen, I'm not immune to starting defense place at the table. That's that's pretty ridiculous and over the top. And as far as I understand, this movie is about how steroids are great for you. And you have no negative consequences if you take them. That is true. It makes you better at everything. Uh, no, and I can't say anything more to that. That that scene with Latimer and headbutting the windshields, that was amazing to me for all the wrong reasons in 1994 or whenever I saw this movie for the first time. Had and Latimer, that has burnt into my brain forever. I'll yeah. never forget that scene. Had Latimer just like assaulted somebody? No. Uh, he's the MVP of the movie 
for the face paint and the headbutting the windshields and all yeah. that. Like, but no, and, he, he does he also give terrible his... act. And it's like fuck, fuck, and then and then he can't perform without the juice either. It's like he's yeah. a slave to the juice when he he's has not... the little boy eyes looking into Coach Winters' eyes. Like, yeah. oh, you're he's... still a cheater. Yeah, you're, you're still you... a weak cheater. I'm not going to turn you in, but I'm judging you. Yeah, happy. You, Alex, the thing, yeah. the thing that frustrates me about that is the coach is as compromised as Latimer, if not more so. No, because he has plausibility, deni- plausible deniability. Excuse me. You he mean Latimer has plausible I, I, he, deniability? <laughs> no, the no. The coach, the, the coach does. He's never failed a test. We can't suspend that. He doesn't fail a test. Yeah. Unless he, you know, you know, goes and like breaks into the zoo and murders a lion or something it's like oh he's back at it <laughs> we gotta suspend him again yeah it's yeah it's like hey of we, course. we weren't we weren't aware the program was not aware yeah the next Cash. line would be well was it an endangered animal what's the big deal <laughs> broken of the zoo the uh, so, so do you have a line for us too other than latimer scene t-dubs oh it's 100 percent kill them all let the paramedics sort them out he's my yeah, favorite was- character when he says he's going to peel that guy's cap, everything he says to people yeah. is my favorite parts of the movie. Is it is it Latimer or uh, or Alvin that says baby lost his bonnet when they that's Latimer. his helmet off? Yeah. That's Latimer. He, that's, yeah. That one got quoted on the football field uh-huh. in high school uh, constantly throughout my career. Anytime anybody lost their helmet, baby lost his bonnet. Uh, and I will admit, my close number two is Joe Kane's. Let's put the women and children to bed and go, go look for, for dinner. dinner. Yeah. That's that's a good one. I would follow Joe Kane to the gates of hell. He just seems so cool and collected. He's super cool. He's got the leather jacket. He was a nightbreed. He rides a motorcycle. If, let me put it this way. If Matt Ryan was half as cool as Joe Kane, 28 to 3 would have never happened. Oh, zero chance Joe Kane loses to Tom Brady. No. Yeah. Totally. One, Joe Kane can scramble, which is a huge asset. He's getting True. out of danger. He's not getting a sack fumble. It's just not happening. No. All right. So especially if Bud Light Kaminsky's up front, bro, blocking for him. Get along, little doggies. Hey, uh, I think we've covered this, but let's quickly go over it. Where did this movie go wrong, and/or how would you improve it? And I'll just get into it here because I've got some thoughts. Uh, this movie's biggest failing in a commercial sense is that it's too nihilistic. Like I said before. And it's probably got just two of the plot strings that actually have anything close to a semi-happy ending. Darnell, the freshman running back, gets the starting spot and the girl for now. And Kane's ending is bittersweet at best. Things are looking up. Um, he's with Christy Swanson and he's got another year of eligibility. Uh, and we don't really know what happens to their bowl game. You know, they've just made it to the bowl game. That's the end of the movie. It kind of ends on a weird note. Uh, but everyone else is left broken and or morally compromised. Uh, in my opinion, I think having Kane's dad show up at the final regular season game would have been enough to soften the movie's relatively dark tone. Like, oh, look, dad finally showed up to see us win, you know, wow. win this big game. Couldn't make it. He got hit by a semi. That's true. Like, we didn't I mean, see that. But in listen, the parking lot, the Green Goblin flew through during the tailgating. And just yeah. I, I disagree. No. I, I think very specifically that him not showing up and that Joe has to realize, look, I have to be my own person and I can't rely on trying to get my father's approval is the more uplifting version of that story. I don't think you're, 
you're understanding how dumb audiences are in 1993. You need to, you need to have a happy moment where dad shows up, he winks at him and Joe knows he can do it. And they go out and they win the game. And, you know, his dad's like, you know what? I've overcome whatever it is. My guilt. I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud of you, son. And then, and then Uh, again, it's, it, it doesn't really fit the tone of the movie. Right. So I think you're onto something though, Captain Cash. Maybe I'm wrong. So, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't think you need to do anything aside from cut the romantic subplot between uh, Darnell Jefferson and uh, Bailey <laughs> Barry Halley. Barry Halley. I no. Okay. So no, I think like you guys it's, are it's, something here. it's taking time away from the more important subplots, which is the Heisman quarterback yeah. who has the alcohol issue, Alvin Mack. What do you do about this guy who's literally a menace and out of control? Yeah, getting worse. Yeah, like it's not yeah, getting better. So, yeah, and I think you guys are onto something here because ultimately, what are the stakes of who gets Halle Berry? That doesn't really matter in the context of the movie. Um, so, I'll combine what you guys both just said there. That your counter to my point, Captain Cash, and what you've just su- <laughs> suggested, Thunder's Wizard. I think it should have ended with a bittersweet victory at the bowl game. Yeah, that's it. That's it. We cut out the love triangle. Know, or like one of the scandal plot lines, probably the love triangle, and then use that spare screen time to show the team winning that bowl game with or without the dad. And then the movie has just a slightly more happy, like high point, but then like either is a little like, you know, post-credit or mid-credit scene, you see the coaches going out to go get the next round of meat bags. It still ends on that. Oh, well, that was great. Now we got to go do it over again. And I think that would have probably hit harder with audiences people to be like oh the movie is it's great you know it's it's crazy and then these guys win the game in the end now i don't think it makes it a better movie but it would have made more money yeah yeah i'll, I'll give you that i i still but I, that that feels more like a that that's an artistic compromise it's better when it's yeah. slightly more nihilistic and, you know, and it basically leaves the ending of the season, the true ending of the season, ambiguous. You don't know what's going to happen in that bowl game. To me, that's a weird way to end the movie. Their whole goal is to get to the bowl game, and then they do. And then it's like, okay, and the movie's over. Wow, how does well, Major League this- end? They get to the playoffs. You don't see the playoffs. And then yeah. wretched Major League 2, which we did on this pod. Like Rocky. Wait, it's like, like oh, Rocky. They got swept in the playoffs. It's like, what? Bullshit. They got swept in the playoffs. Yeah. And then it's, it's just a, so you know, unsatisfying. That Indian scene was a team of destiny. I cannot stress this enough. That team would have won the World Series. Berenger is carrying that team on his shoulders, bad knees and all. Yes, they the, would have to, won to the, championship. the World Series. We did not yeah. need Jack Parkman and his shimmy that makes the girls in Cleveland puke. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, all right, listener. We need to take a break and freshen up our brews before we take on the competitive portion of the pod. Up next is the Kill Everybody Trivia Challenge. In the meantime, here's a message from our Roll Band Entertainment tag team partners over at the Double Turn Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Boss Ross. And I'm the J-Man, and we're the Double Turn Podcast. Every Friday, we bring you the best in pro wrestling talk. Whether it's previews and reviews on pay-per-view events, discussing the hottest topics in pro wrestling, or bringing you a look back to some of the best matches and moments in history. We have it all for you. So check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the Anchor app. And you can also give us a follow on Instagram at the Double Turn Podcast. And we will catch you on the flip side.
Welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops presented by Wobam Entertainment. It's now time for the Kill Everybody Trivia Challenge. Tonight, we've got the standard format, five questions, multiple choice. And in this episode, you'll be playing for one of Latimer's used catheters or James Conn's pinky ring. <laughs> Dibs on the catheter. It's, it's either that or, there, or James Conn's pinky ring, coach winners, whatever. It's, it's your pick, so have fun with that. And for tonight's chime in, I will accept any of Latimer's lines, like baby lost his bonnet, starting defense, seat at the table, your call, or any of the pod standards. Okay, so that brings us to question number one, and this is going to be a gimme for the Thunderous Wizard. Dwayne Davis, who played Alvin Mack, was a college football player himself in real life. What school did he play for? Was it A, the U, B, Ohio State, or I should say the Ohio State you don't University? Need to do that. You don't need to C, do that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm an OSU fan and I don't even do it. Uh, C, Mizzou, or D, UCLA? Starting defense. Thunderous Wizard, that is you. What is your answer? Well, if you paid close attention, listeners, to when we were talking about the cast, he played for Mizzou. Yep, hometown hero. Oddly enough, I believe the story goes he suffered a career-ending injury as well. I do not know that specifically, but I do know that, you know, obviously in this movie he did as many of his own stunts as possible, but he was hurt when they were filming Necessary Roughness, so he wasn't able to do any of the route running or that stuff during that movie, even though he was a football player. Full disclosure, never seen Necessary Roughness all the way through. Um, I've seen what, bits and what? pieces over the years. Yeah, sorry. I'm just shocked <laughs> to know that that guy, Alvin Mack, played a wide receiver in a different football movie. Yeah, This doesn't he, look like a wide receiver. If, listen, if you've ever seen Necessary Roughness, uh, The Replacements is literally just the exact same movie. It totally ripped it off. Yes. Yeah, they are pretty much the same plot. All right, well, that's one point for the Thunderous Wizard, and that brings us to question number two. The program was shot on several real college campuses and stadiums. Which of the following was not one of the colleges used? A, Duke, B, Boston College, C, Clemson, or D, the team up north, Michigan? Place at the table. That would be Captain Cash. Duke. That is incorrect. Thunderous Wizard, can you steal? Baby lost his bonnet. It's, what you uh, got? it's Michigan. Oh, that is not the correct answer. I mean, we talked about that. Yeah. No, but they play Michigan. Michigan agreed to be in the movie. I just didn't know that they agreed to let them be on their campus. I'm afraid so. It was C, Clemson. Clemson. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, hey, you still have the lead at one to zero, Thunderous Wizard. And we are at question number three. The scene featuring Joe Kane and his teammates laying in the middle of a busy street, which is in the trailer, was cut from the versions of the home release in all but two regions. And again, this is also part of the reason the movie was pulled from theaters. There was this controversial scene. We probably should have talked about it more, but most people didn't see it outside of the trailer. But again, it was cut from the home release in all but two regions. The Hong Kong laser disc is one of them. What was the other? Was it the UK VHS release? B, the Japanese Blu-ray release? C, the Canadian Betamax release? Or D, the Australian DVD release? Ooh, starting defense. All right. What do you have for us, Thunderous Wizard? Canadian 
Betamax. That was by far my favorite fake answer to make up. That is incorrect. Captain Cash. Let's go UK. UK VHS. That is also incorrect. Damn. It was oddly enough the Australian DVD. I was surprised See, that, that, that was my DVD backup release. Yeah, Australia has a violence thing just like the UK does. Like they're very <sighs> sensitive about stuff like that. Like huh. I, I knew it couldn't be the UK because if you can't use nunchucks, zero chance you're having Joe Kane reading his Heisman magazine in the middle of the highway. Yeah. So so basically the scene is Joe after a few brews walks out in the middle of a busy road and lays down on the center line while he reads his Sports Illustrated uh, uh, cover story about himself being a yeah. Heisman candidate, which just you see his backup quarterback or somebody bring it to him in the bar scene earlier, which is in the movie. And then as he lays out there reading it, his teammates run out after him and they all lay down with him. Um, fun fact, uh, Alvin Max, actor. Yeah, Dwayne Davis told the director, hey, I don't see Alvin Mack doing this because he's got too much to live for. You know, he wouldn't yeah, jeopardize yeah. himself like this. He's trying to make it NFL for his mom. The director's like, shut up, he's doing it. Well, the whole <laughs> point is, like, the only player that would do it is Joe Kane because the scene is only to further the point that he's basically suicidal because he is clinically depressed and an alcoholic. Yeah. That's not coping well with with pressure and with the pressure and, and, and his family uh, baggage. But there's but so yes. much of that in the movie, anyways. And this scene is not good. I'll I'll post it to the socials. It's pretty crappy. Yeah, uh, but it, it's, it's supposed to be. Yeah, kids it. tried it. That's one of those and don't try it. Home died, thing. So. Yeah, it's like a really weird. Like this is how it's like a camaraderie thing. This is how far they'll go to follow Joe. He's a true leader scene. It's, but it's super weird and dark. Super gross. It doesn't work. Not a fan. It's, yeah. Not a fan. Um, it's a and that did cut. So the movie was temporarily pulled from theaters and then it was re-released without that scene in it. But yeah, the cat was out of the bag. It was already in the trailer. So everybody saw it. Uh, okay. Well, you still have the lead at one to zero thunderous wizard. And we are now at question number four. Director Ward based Latimer's roid rage meathead persona on a real college football player. What was the player's name? Was it A, Tommy Chaikin? Was it B, Brian Bosworth? Was it C, Tony Mandrich? Or was it D, Bill Romanowski? Baby lost his bonnet. Okay, that is the Thunderous Wizard. What is your answer? It's Tommy Chaikin. It is, in fact, Tommy Chaikin who played at South Carolina. Which they did a huge uh, expose on his steroid abuse in Sports Illustrated in the in like uh, late eighties. I think you can still find it. I think the fun funnest fact I picked up from that I think it's Jim Washburn was his D line coach at that time, who you can only assume knew exactly what was going on. And uh, Washburn went on to have a fairly productive NFL coaching career. So it didn't hurt him, just his poor players. So yeah, just the guy pretty much in line with the uh, movie. Basically having thoughts of self-harm and uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's not it, good. Yeah. Yeah. He was chemically off the deep end from all the stuff they were giving him. Um, oddly enough, I also see a bit of Tony Mandrich in this because he was a guy that juiced his way through college. And then once he got to the NFL with a different testing protocol, never matched that level of performance. He was the, a shell of himself as a pro player. The incredible bulk. Yeah. That was the headline in Sports Illustrated for Tony Mandridge. 
Yeah. Uh, but to his defense, he did later find a career as a serviceable guard and in fact blocked for <clears throat> uh, Peyton Manning very early in his career with the Colts. Okay. So that is two points for the Thunderous Wizard. I'm sorry, Captain Cash, you have been mathematically eliminated from victory here. But let's go on to question number five, just for pride. According to Brian Nowski's, uh, or Brian Nowski, I always get his name wrong. How do you say that, Thunderous Wizard? Barnyarski? Brian Narski? Yeah, Binyarski. According to Latimer, how much weight was he push pressing in that post practice montage locker room scene? This is the one where the coaches are talking about how juiced up he is going from the punt team to starting defense. Um, because frankly, it looks like, I, I don't know. I, I won't give my thoughts yet. I'll give you guys the answers first. Did he claim it was A, 315 pounds, B, 465 pounds, C, 505, or D, about 100 pounds, the weights were fake? Ooh, well, based on the way you asked it, I'm going to say starting defense, uh, 465. 465. That is correct. Man, I was going to go over the plates were fake. Damn. Well, so the funny thing is, Bronowski, Bronowski, Latimer, Latimer is like, you know, I'm out there putting up like 465. And then the director's like, do it again. And like, you don't understand how muscles work and failure threshold, blah, blah, blah. And I'm looking at the plates and I'm trying, I'm counting them. And even if the base, like the, the closest plates to the bar stops were 100 pounders, it's 425 tops. Like, I don't know that's, what configuration so of plates. <laughs> but, but I don't believe that for a second. He's got three plates on each side, and they're not all the same size. He's like got one set that's slightly bigger than the two outer plates. Uh, you know, frankly, I, I think it's probably closer to 315. Uh, but, I mean, it just, it just seemed like a really weird flex for him because I'm not sure anybody could push press 465 like that standing. Like, like multiple times because he's just cranking it out. He might not be the most reliable narrator. He did yeah. get busted for animal cruelty. <laughs> yeah. So I'm calling bullshit on that number, but that's the number he gives in that oral history. Okay. Well, congratulations, Thunderous Wizard. You have a choice between one of Latimer's catheters or I'm going to assume is like some sort of bull ring that James Conn wears in the movie. So you're I, want, I want both because it was a shutout. Uh, you know what? If I get I'll the catheter, it. I can wear the, the ring as a necklace. Oh, yeah. Hey, yeah. but just don't tell the NCAA that might be considered an impermissible benefits. So let's just keep this on the DL for now. I was okay? so Good fascinated call. by Larimer's like doping friend. I, I was like, I really hope this guy is in something like else random, but to no, no, to no avail. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like what he looks like one of the guys from PCU that's hanging out with Jake Busey. Yeah. <laughs> Blotter. <laughs> <laughs> apparently he's supposed to be a med student so that's why he's the one perform performing the urine transplant <laughs> oh that's so funny to me um all right well that brings us to recommendations and i actually i'll go first here because i've just got a quick one because i'm going to change what i was going to recommend because i'd forgotten about this until we got into the pod but the closest thing i've ever read to a real life version of this is not the novel or the you know semi uh autobiographical novel biography is north dallas 40 is that really about the uh, cowboys does he try to make it sort of like covered up it's supposed to be yeah but he doesn't call does he call them the cowboys and use the real names oh i don't yeah i don't recall. yeah i don't I, I can't recall either it doesn't matter the closest thing i've ever seen to a true account of this kind of stuff in the nfl 
uh, is a book by Nate Jackson. He is a former uh, tight end in the NFL. He played for the Broncos for several years. He's a, he was a wide receiver in high school, converted to tight end in the pro or in college, excuse me, converted the tight end in the pros. So he was undersized. He was a fringe player in the NFL trying to make it. And he played with the Broncos back in the Jake Cutler and Jake Plummer days during that transition between those two. And his novel is slow getting up a story of NFL survival from the bottom of the pile. Uh, you can get it on Amazon and paperback for like 12 bucks. Um, it's a quick read. I think it's like less than 300 pages. It's, it's pretty good. It's just really interesting. He talks about, you know, the struggles of being on the NFL roster, life on the road, training camp, concussions, injuries, drug use, uh, you know, painkiller abuse and that kind of stuff. And it's just a totally unflinching, I view him as a very reliable narrator. He does give it some introspection. He does get a little like, you know, philosophical on it because, it, you know, it's a, it's a tough way to live uh, for a lot of these guys. I think it gives you a good, accurate picture of what it's like to try to make it in professional sports when you're not that first round pick. You're a guy who's fighting for a job every week, every year. Fast read, check it out. Slow Getting Up by Nate Jackson. That's what I got. Captain Cash, Thunderous Wizards wants to go next. Uh, I'll go. Unnecessary Roughness. That's my recommendation. I brought it up a lot on this pod. I love that movie. It follows the fictional Texas State University who have just been busted for a doping, cheating, uh, etc. scandal and are now fielding an Ironman football team where the players are essentially playing both sides of the ball and they are terrible. It's like the Bad News Bears with football and the most handsome early 90s leading man, Scott Bakula. Hey, and don't forget, Kathy Ireland is the kicker. Yep. And she's also uh, in our next week's movie, uh, which is going to be Side Out. But there's a couple of connections because uh, Barn Yarsky is in Necessary Roughness. Uh, Dwayne Davis is in Necessary Roughness. Uh, Mary Jane Kozak. Uh, who plays the love interest to Scott Bakula in Necessary Roughness is also inside out. So a lot of wow. uh, intermingling going on with these casts. So, so what I, this is a sheer universe it. is what I'm hearing. Yeah. I love Necessary Roughness. It is so this much is, fun. This is the ESU shared universe. Yeah. You've got our boy, Robert Loja as assistant coach, Wally Riggendorf. It's me, Wally Riggendorf. It's a great movie. <laughs> Does he have like, a monster truck driving goon in necessary roughness. No. no. Okay. So this is probably not shared. This is not shared with the roadhouse universe. Uh, soon, you know, season four, we're going to do hops and hometown flops, essentially movies that were set in our hometowns. And I'm doing roadhouse, which also features Robert Loja's truck driving goon, Terry. Funk. So Terry Funk will be back on the pod. The funk man. The funk master. Hey, take care, Terry. He's going through some rough times yeah. right now, folks. So if anybody follows wrestling Twitter, send some love towards Terry Funk. For sure. We love you, Terry. Mm-hmm. All right, Captain Cash, what do you have for the listener uh, to recommend? I'm going to go super mainstream and say I saw Shang-Chi. It was really good. Yeah. I had a great time. I'd watch it again. I'm not yeah. going to go to the theater again to watch it, but if it's, I could uh... like hit a couple buttons, I'd watch it You know, this evening. Is Andrew sure. Barnyarski in that too? I mean, the guy with the razor fist is basically Barnyarski, so tentative, yes. Um, I think technically he is because I'm pretty sure he does the mocap for Abomination. 
So. Yeah, actually, Latimer turned into the abomination. <laughs> Literally, it requires no CGI. It's very impressive. They still yeah, t- they stubbed they still dub uh, Eli Roth. Oh wait, not Eli. No, Tim Roth. Tim Roth. They still dub Tim Roth voice over him, but otherwise, that's just Barnyardsky. Okay, I know I don't want any spoilers. Okay, because this movie's just come out and it's very popular, and everyone should go see it in theaters once safely with a mask. Yes, but does does anyone during the fight between Abomination and Wong tell someone's bitch to be cool? Because any Tim Roth movie that does not contain that line is a disappointment. Well, he calls Wong honey bunny. Okay. Well, that's close. So enough. there's that. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. You see my magic thing? It's the one that says bad motherfucker on it. <laughs> you see my you see my magic scarf? <laughs> <laughs> You see my my purple boxer briefs? Yeah, the ones that written on the tag are BMAF. Yeah, uh, okay, okay. Well, let's get this thing buttoned up, fellas. Uh, thanks again for listening and joining us on this episode. Coming up next week, as T-Dub's already said, we've got our second installment of a Hobson Sports Ball flop. We're going to be talking about Side Out. He'll be hosting. And uh, it's the battle. The going to the pod with you guys, hanging together, having a brew, texting about movies before the pods, setting ourselves apart, being different than every other podcast, having a chance to be somebody, to do something that people hopefully don't judge you for, your dick jokes, your burps. Not everybody can podcast. We're the lucky ones. I mean, yeah, but I mean, like, Everybody can podcast, especially us. I mean, yeah, okay. <laughs>